Amen. Good to see all of you out tonight. Good to have you all joining us live stream tonight as well. James chapter 4 tonight, beginning at verse 11. We're going to talk about the subject of expressing humility. Remember last week we ended with verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So now James, beginning in verse 11, through the rest of the chapter, verse 17, really talks about a couple ways that as Christians we can express humility. Before we dive into this passage tonight, I want to make this point. Though James does not talk or mention specifically the word faith, Faith is very much a part of and a foundation for everything that he says tonight. Because humility and faith are tied together. They're like knotted up with each other. In order to be a truly humble person before God, you got to trust him. Because, see, faith is a matter of trust or dependence on something else or someone else outside of ourself. That's what faith is. And every human being lives by faith, not just Christians. At some point, they're trusting in someone or something else other than themselves at times. Now, we as Christians are called to trust in God at all times and to always trust in the one outside of ourselves, to never look to ourselves or to any other human being ultimately, you see, to navigate our life. Our center of dependence in everyday life is of crucial importance. Who or what? are we depending in or depending on? And, and I think you'll see then, if that locks in to your memory, how that fits in to what James is going to talk about tonight when he talks about expressions of humility. Because let's go back before we go to verse 11 and just look at verse 10 for a moment. Humble yourself before the Lord express reliance and dependence upon God, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will raise you up. And that not only speaks about lifting our spirits up, but literally placing us in certain places or certain positions. In other words, God's the ultimate promoter. We don't need to promote ourselves if we truly trust in God if God wants us to move up higher or have a certain position or have a certain place in society or the church, God will make sure we get there. I mean, could there be a better example for us in Scripture than Joseph? God all along saw Joseph in this high position in Egypt. Now, he didn't tell Joseph he was going to have to go through the pit and the prison to get there. Again, God's ways aren't our ways. But Joseph had to learn 
to humble himself before the Lord and to learn to trust him when he wasn't exalted so that when he was exalted, God could trust him in that position. Now, I say all that because some may wonder in the context, why does now James bring up again sort of the sins of the tongue? <laughs> He's talked a lot about the sins of the tongue. He spent the majority of chapter 3 talking about the use of the tongue and the power of the tongue and the sins of the tongue and being aware of the power of our words and all that. So why does James talk about this now? Because what James is talking to us about in verses 11 and 12 are really about putting others down so that we can be lifted up. Follow along with me. He says, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He's not talking about, at this point, anybody but just fellow Christians. And even in James's day, as the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he saw too much of this amongst Christians. And it was clearly a violation of the commandment from Jesus that all men will know that you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another, not seeing you and watching you and hearing you as my believers speak against one another. The words speak against mean to defame, to slander, to backbite, to be talking about somebody behind their back and them not being able to be there to defend themselves. Again, it is the picture of lifting oneself up by tearing others down. And James is saying, if we would humble ourselves before the Lord and trust him in our humility to exalt us and place us and position us, we wouldn't need to be like the world and adopt the ways of the world to get somewhere in this world by tearing others down in order to get there. James says no. In fact, remember what he said up in verse 7 there of chapter 4? Submit or surrender to God, and we just sung about that, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. What is the devil other than a defamer, a slanderer, a backbiter, a liar, an accuser, the Bible says? So when we as Christians are behaving this way, we're drawing nearer to the devil than we are to God, as he talks about in verse 8. We're being more like the devil than we are our God when we speak against one another. Then notice what James says in verse 11. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. Well, let's talk about the word judge for a minute. It means to judge severely or unfairly. It means one who is always finding fault or being critical of another believer. One, in a sense, who is a, having a condemnatory judgment on someone, you see. And he says, this violates the law. What law? The law of love. 
Look back at chapter 2 of James, verse 8. But if you fulfill the royal laws expressed in this scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Speaking against our brothers and sisters and judging a fellow believer is violating that very law to love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, even uh, violating what Jesus said, which is love one another as I have loved you by that kind of love, that quality of love, that standard of love. All other men will know that you're my disciples. It was the, the stamp, the mark that Jesus gave to us as his followers to set us apart and distinguish us from other people. And James is simply saying, when we tear others down, especially other Christians down with our mouth in order to make ourselves look better or lift ourselves up. He's saying that's a manifestation of pride, not of humility. That is manifesting or expressing a lack of faith in God rather than a trust in God. Because I feel like I make myself feel better by making other people feel worse. And James says, that's not humility and that's not faith. And James is saying, this is a very tangible way that you and I either express humility and faith or we don't express humility and faith in our everyday lives. And he says, you're not following the law. You're speaking against the law, verse 11, and you're actually judging the law. You're actually putting yourself in place of God and in place of the law. Which then he goes on to say, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And James has spent a lot of time saying, we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Faith without works is dead. If, if we want to express our faith and work out our trust in God, one of the ways we do that is through humbling ourselves before the Lord, trusting him and not speaking against others in order to either make ourselves feel better, in order to make ourselves look better, in order to advance our career or our position, to undermine others so that we look better ourselves. James says no. And then in verse 12, he says, there is only one who is a lawgiver and judge. And guess who that one is? God. In fact, one is placed first in the Greek for emphasis. Remember, not to get too Greeky or geeky on you, but the Greeks would always put whatever word was the most important at the head of the sentence. So that's why when you read the Greek New Testament, it's in a different order than our English translation, but it wouldn't make sense to us if they would have literally translated it that way. So the very first word in the Greek New Testament of James 4.12 is one. One. And the only one who is the lawgiver and judge. He is, James says, the one who is able to save and destroy or bring down. He can lift up, he can bring down. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. Think of Belshazzar in the book of Daniel as well. He humbled them. Remember the handwriting on the wall? 
And God said and sent a message to King Belshazzar, your kingdom and you have been found wanting and I'm going to take it away from you. At any point, God can raise us up and God can bring us down. And that very thought and that knowledge should then cause us to walk in humility, but also to trust the Lord. That in each and every season and situation of life, God can bring people down and he can raise them up. And if he's got them in certain positions, that's because he's let them there and, and put them there and has them there. And at any point, God can take them and move them. And God can raise somebody else up. He's done it throughout history very well. On the other hand, he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? We are to love our neighbor, not judge our neighbor. Now, before we move on, because this is the first way you and I can express humility and really faith before the Lord and before others, by how we speak about others, either in their presence or behind their back, you see. But James was not, and this is important, we need to say what James was not saying here. James was not forbidding us to use discernment when it comes to other people or even to evaluate other people. Christians need to have insight. And the Bible says we need to be cautious in our relationships and, and, and not just trust people if they've given us no reason to trust them. And when we choose people for certain positions, and like even in my position, uh, certain positions in the church and all that, you need to have discernment and insight. So James isn't talking about judgment in that sense. But what he is saying is we must never take the place of God in passing judgment and coming to our own conclusion about others and their behavior like only God can. A couple things fall in here. First, Jesus said, we must first examine our own lives and then try to help others. Remember what he said back in Matthew chapter 7? He said, why are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own? He said, first, deal with the beam in your own eye, and then you can help your brother take the speck out of his eye. So Jesus isn't saying that there isn't times and situations where we shouldn't step in and try to help someone with an issue in their life. But he's saying, you better make sure that you come at it from a position of humility and make sure that we examine ourselves and put the spotlight as much on ourselves as on them and that we're shining the light on us and saying, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to take care of first that's a glaring something or other before I go and talk to my brother or sister about this thing, okay? And then the second reason why James says we should never put ourselves in the place of God is only God knows all the facts. And only God knows people's hearts completely and their motivations. We may think we do, but only God does. And so that's why we've got to leave judgment, if you will, and coming to the final conclusions about things to God alone. Only one lawgiver and judge, God. 
And when we put ourselves in that place and begin to evaluate and judge other people as if we are God and as if we know everything and we know their motivations and all that, then we are losing our humility and now we are living in pride like the devil and we are saying, I know more and I've got this. And No, no, i got to leave that to God. Love our neighbor and let God be the judge. That's how we express humility and faith in our everyday lives. But there's another way, and that's the way we navigate life and the way we manage our own life. Notice what he says in verse 13. Come now. He's trying to grab their attention. And everything that James says here, he's trying to say, guys, doesn't what I'm telling you drive you to your knees and, and drive you to a place of humility when you realize the truths that I'm sharing with you? He's not trying to do it again to make them so much feel bad, but just to realize they're living in pride where they are right now and how they're behaving, and they need to humble themselves before God and trust him. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into this or that town and spend the year there and do business and make profit. He says, you don't know about tomorrow. In fact, there's three things that James says here in this passage about life. He talks about the complexity of life, the uncertainty of life, verse 14, and the brevity of life, verse 14. You're a puff of smoke. And we'll talk all about those. But he's basically saying, pride gives us this presumption that we just start making our plans as if somehow we're in control of everything and that we know exactly how all this is going to fall out. It's almost like we have the arrogance of self-determinism. We assume that we have mastery over time and events. Life is too complex for that, James said. There are so many contingencies that if we really thought about it, even logically, it should humble us. There's all kinds of what-ifs that we deal with every day in life. What if this happens? What if that? And if we lived there, it would overwhelm us. It would drive us nuts, which is why many people today are so stressed and anxious and addicted to all kinds of medications and stuff because when they begin to think about, oh my goodness, I got to think about this and I got to think about that and what about this and what about that? And James says, life is complex. But God can simplify all that if we just trust him because he, he doesn't tell us to live life trying to figure all the things out that we can't figure out and be in charge of all the things that we can't control. God says, I never meant for you to do that. I'll give you two words, God says. This is how you're to live your life, and it's so simple. Follow me. Just follow me. Don't try to figure everything out. Don't try to be in control of the things that you and I can't control. But just the realization that life is so complex and so uncertain should humble us rather than lift us up in pride and think somehow we're the master of our own destiny. David writes in Psalm 31, verse 15, you, God, alone determine my destiny. That's a good verse. 
Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you as a human being do not know what tomorrow may hold. You do not know about tomorrow, James says in verse 14. Doesn't that remind you of the story in Luke where Jesus said there was this rich man and he had all this stuff and he started expanding his storage units and he said, oh, so you have so many goods and just eat, drink, and be merry. You're good for many years. And Jesus said, you're a fool because tonight your soul is required of you. Your life was on loan from me. It was a gift. And you did not humble yourself. And you did not trust me. And you thought you were just going to be alive forever. And your life is now done. And what's all this stuff? Who's it going to? Because you brought nothing into this world, and it's certain you can take nothing out. See, all the stuff that James is saying about life is true, but he's saying, first of all, that shouldn't stress us out as Christians because God simplifies it all for us. He doesn't ask us to try to control the things we can't control. He doesn't ask us to try to figure out all the complexities of life. All he says to us is get up every day, hold my hand, and walk through this day with me. Follow your shepherd. It's all we have to worry about. Because he says to all of us, we're just a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. Life is so brief. And if we really realized how short our life was on this earth compared to eternity, we wouldn't live in pride. We would live in humility and we would trust God, especially when it comes to just doing his will and embracing his will every day, which is what he's saying in verse 15. He says, you ought to say instead, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. Now listen, this whole idea, if the Lord wills, is not some kind of sort of Christian motto or, or just, you know, saying that we just sort of throw out there every day, oh, if the Lord wills, if the Lord, no, no. It's something that we tangibly do every day. And listen, James, just like before in the previous part of this passage, let me say what James isn't saying. He's not telling us as Christians that we shouldn't plan and prepare. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't plan and prepare without God. Don't live independently of God. Go to God, walk with him every day, figure out what his will is for you this day, this week, this month, this year, and just embrace his will. And if God leads you to plan this or that, then that's great. God doesn't want us to live undisciplined, disorganized lives. There's nothing wrong with planning, but all James is saying is make sure that as you make your plans and as you do all this stuff, that you're doing it jointly you're doing it in partnership. You're doing it in cooperation with God. Because again, the problem here is these folks were not living in humility. They were living in pride. And so they were determining their own course. They were, they were in the driver's seat, not God. They were on the throne of their life. And they, like the devil, were just simply saying, God, I don't need you. I got this. I'm going to do this on my own. And that's why a lot about 
this whole independence and not living dependently and reliantly and having faith in the Lord and, and not being a humble person but a proud person all goes back to Lucifer and the fall of him and the devil and what he tries to do in us as human beings now because ever since the devil fell, what's he tried to do? Get us, even as Christians, to live independently rather than dependently upon God every day. And to say, okay, you got God in your life. Okay, fine, fine, fine. But let's, let's live the rest of your life. Do what you want to do. Don't embrace the will of God. The will of God, just like he said to Eve, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. You embrace God's will, you're going to be miserable. And so the devil tries to derail Christians living the will of God because they simply don't trust God. And so he might not have their soul. They'll end up in heaven, but he has derailed the purpose and plan God had for their life while they were here. And the way and the will that God created them for will never be realized in their life because the devil got them to simply embrace him as their savior, but never embrace God as their shepherd and follow him every day. It was like, no, God, I can't trust you. And I want to say something at this moment that I'm going to be bringing up probably about a month from now. I'll tell you why. After we're done the worship series in Leviticus 23, we're going to be entering into a six-week series on the call of God looking at different people throughout the Bible and God coming to them and calling them. And the reason we're doing that is because I believe God calls every one of us. I believe every Christian has a call of God on their life. And why does that tie in with embracing his will? Let me share with you these words that I wrote down. The will of God comes from the heart of God. His will is the expression of his love. That's why we've got to attack and we've got to correct thinking in Christians who think, just like I heard from the time I was a child in church, people fearing, surrendering to the will of God, even though it says in verse 7 of chapter 4, so submit to God or surrender. Why would they never surrender to God? Why would they never present their body a living sacrifice? Because they got in their head through either their own, you know, thinking or someone else's influence in their life that to embrace and surrender to the will of God meant that their life would be miserable and they'd have to do something terrible and something they wouldn't like for the rest of their life. And I am here to say today that is absolutely not true. That is a lie that anything that God has for you and I as part of his will is an expression of his love for us. It's what he created us for and knows that we are fit for. It's just the opposite, that you and I really don't live and experience the abundant life and really get fulfillment and satisfaction in this life on earth apart from embracing his will. Because the will of God comes from the heart of God. That's what James is saying in verse 15. And that's why humbling ourselves before God is also tied to our trust and faith in God. I will never truly 
jump into the arms of God and say, God, whatever your will is, that's what I want to do today, this week, this month, this year, for the rest of my life. Because the bottom line is, I don't trust you. I trust myself to figure this out more. And James is saying, my goodness, life is too short to do that. Life is too complex to do that. Life is too uncertain. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure out your own life. God's got this all figured out. God's got that pathway for each of us. He's got a pathway for our church. And all God says is just trust me to follow me every day, every week, every month, and every year, and you'll get there. And you'll enjoy your life, and you'll experience things that you could never experience apart from me because I have good things planned for you. Jeremiah says the very same thing. The plans that I have for you, they're plans to prosper you and to do good by you all the days of our life. So James says, but as it is, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance, in your self-determinism, in I don't need you, God, I'll figure out my life. And James says, all such boasting is evil. And it's not that people, human beings, Christians can't accomplish something apart from God. It's just that if it's accomplished independently of God, it won't last. It's not eternal. That's why God says, join me. Embrace my will, and everything that you're a part of will have eternity stamped on it. It will last. It will matter. He who does the will of God never passes away. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, even Abel, that he's been dead how many thousands of years, he's still speaking Abel's still influencing. Why? Because he was a man of faith. People of faith never die. Just like the people that we're learning from in the Word of God. They're still impacting us and still influencing us, and they've been dead for how long? And God says, so if you just do what I tell you to do, you'll not only have the best life here, but I'll use your life to make such a difference in other people's lives. Long after you're gone, you will leave a spiritual legacy, but you got to humble yourself before the Lord. Let me exalt you and trust me, because faith is a matter of trusting something else or someone else outside of ourselves. And for us as Christians, that means trusting the Lord. Who is our center of dependence every day? In life. That's a question of critical importance that we need to be mindful of. And then some people think, well, then how does verse 17 fit into all this? Because in a sense, he's basically given us two ways, negatively or positively, however you want to speak about it, of how we express or don't express humility. We express humility 
by trusting God to exalt us so I don't have to speak bad about others and tear them down in order to get myself lifted up. And I don't put myself in the place of God trying to judge others, thinking that I know everything because only God knows everything. And I also express humility by the way I navigate life every day. Do I determine my own day and my own week, my own month and my own year and say, God, I've got this. Thank you for saving me, but I'll take it from here and determine my own life and the direction of it. Or do I go to God every day and say, God, I need you. I need to rely and depend upon you every day. And so I'm coming, humbling myself and trusting that whatever your will is, it's going to be the best thing for me no matter what. Because your will is the expression of your heart and love for me. And I just need to live every day saying, if the Lord is willing, if the Lord is willing, I just want to follow your will, God. I trust you. But then James says in verse 17, so whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. Why did he end this passage this way? I think two reasons that I can think of. One is, again, he's trying to get these people who are maybe a little proud to realize maybe they should be a little bit more humble. Because many times, as followers of Christ, we get caught in this trap that we judge ourselves based upon the things that we haven't done. You know, those terrible sins. And we sort of get feeling good about ourselves because we say, well, I haven't done that and I haven't done that and I haven't committed that sin and all that. It's all the sins of omission that, or commission that we've committed. But James says, this will humble you. God's standard is it's just as important to the heart of God that we do what we know we should do. And if we're not doing that, that's just as bad. That's sin. To know what God's will is and not to do it is just as bad as knowing God's will and violating it. So he's trying to get people to see, maybe you're not, shouldn't be up there on that pedestal like you think. Maybe you should start realizing, oh my goodness, I need the Lord. And I think another reason he shares this at this point is because the, this is really the foundation of what he's expressed throughout this passage. What is it that they know and what is it that we know is God's will? That we should humble ourselves before God and others and continually depend upon him every day. And James is saying, if that's what you know you should be doing and you're not doing it, guess what? Right there. And for many years, I've even tried to remind myself, if I didn't learn one more thing about what I should be doing, I have plenty of stuff that I know I should be doing already to keep me quite occupied for the rest of my life. And if I just focused as a Christian on the things I already know God wants me to do, what I already know is his will, then the other things will take care of themselves. That's why I always encourage Christians, if you're struggling to maybe 
know or even desire to know more of God's will for your life, you know the best way to get on track to find more of God's will is to start doing the things you already know He wants you to do. It will be in that that as you have that heart to like, I know God wants me to do this. I know God wants me to do this. So I just need to start doing the things I already know. It will be as God sees us being obedient to the things that we already know that he will begin to open up our eyes to the things that he hasn't shown us yet. But he wants to see first, can he see that heart of humility and that heart of faith and trust in him to start down that path, to start doing the things we already know we should do and should be doing, and then God will open up more. That's always God's pattern of how he treats his children, just as we as parents and even grandparents should do the same to our children. Give them a little responsibility. See if they can handle that responsibility. If they can handle that responsibility, then you give them a little bit more. But you don't give them more until they can get that down. That's the way God deals with us. But God is always more than willing to give us more. But he's got to see that we can handle this first, one step at a time. And so James is simply saying, humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then he goes into this great passage about here's how we humble ourselves and here's how we trust him. Before we leave each other tonight, though, I just want to reemphasize this one thing. You'll drive yourself, I mean, really crazy, even as a Christian, if you're trying to control things that are out of your control that God never meant for you to control, don't do it. Don't take that bait. And don't even try to figure out all the contingencies of life because life is too complex. Stop with the what ifs. God never meant for us to live what if this, what if that. God simply says, trust me and follow me every day because my will for you comes out of my love for you. My will comes from my heart. And God's will is always good, perfect, and acceptable. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for maybe even humbling us a little bit, God, before you, reminding us, God, that as frail human beings, as finite human beings, God, life is too big. And yet so often, Lord, even as followers, we think we can handle it on our own. So God, I pray tonight that we've been reminded that we can't live life without you. Not without driving ourselves crazy or driving others crazy or being all stressed and anxious. Life's too big, too complex, too many things to think about. 
But God, if we would just simplify it by just embracing your will for our lives every day and trusting you in it, God, we'll have the best life we could ever have. And not only will we be blessed, but like we said Sunday, we'll end up being a blessing to others all around us. God, I pray today that all of us will just sense you wrapping your arms of love around us, drawing us to yourself, God, being our rock in the midst of shifting sand. God, would you take us all home safely tonight? For those that are already home, would you just give us all a, a night of rest in you so that we can wake up tomorrow, God, and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What is your will for me this day, God? Show it to me, God. Here is your servant. I'm listening. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of being able to live out your will for us that you created us for. Nothing better, God, in this life. Would you encourage us to do it, God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us tonight. God bless.